a life that others would call out of balance. They'd look at you and they would say, you're just being a little radical. You're being radical in your commitment to Christ. You're being a little radical in your commitment to your family. You're being a little radical in your generosity. Can I tell you that everything about us as followers of Jesus Christ ought to be defined not by balance, but by an extravagant, radical love for our Savior. I mean, think about it. Matthew 22, the great commandments that God gave to, to all of us who would follow him, it was this. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with what? All, right? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great. He didn't say, have a balanced approach between your heart, your soul, and your mind. He said, no, with everything you've got, that's the love I want you to have for God, for this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. For the next several weeks, I'm going to be teaching you about God's principles in an area that God has called us to live totally out of balance, totally out of balance, in order for us to live a, not a balanced life, but a, a blessed life. And that's my prayer for each one of us this morning. So join me in prayer right now. Let's open our hearts to God. Father, God, I pray in this moment, God, and when we've, we, we've moved from worshiping you to talking about chili, and I don't, we just, we just want to focus, God, on you right now, and allow your Holy Spirit, God, to get into us, and to shape us and change us to be more like you. God, I pray against a resistance this morning, oh God, to a teaching, Lord, that is so powerful. God, that, Lord, you from the beginning have taught, God, that your children would be people, God, who live in that generosity, God, that you've given to us. And, Lord, I pray that as we do and we open ourselves to you, God, we will never, ever be the same again. God, that's our greatest desire. So, Lord, have your way. God, have your way. Open our hearts. Speak to us this morning, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. This is a series that I believe will radically change people's lives. It's a series that is more than just what we call life-giving. It, it really builds life in us. And, and we really are going to be teaching over the next several weeks about an area that, that sometimes people say we shouldn't even talk about in, in church. Because we're going to be talking about God's principles concerning money, God's principles concerning finance, God's principles concerning debt. How many know this is a good time to talk about it? Because Good Friday is now like on Monday, three weeks before Thanksgiving, right? It, it, not Good Friday, what is it, Black Friday, right? Because uh, it's, it's that call of the world to say, come and spend what you don't have so that Visa loves you, right? Um, I mean, people are like, well, well, Pastor, isn't this like politics? You know, there's some things we shouldn't talk about in church. Shouldn't we keep God, you know, separate from those things? After all, we've got Dave Ramsey, we've got Clark Howard, we've got all these helps that are out there. And can I tell you, this series is not one that's going to be like, here's how you do a budget or, or here's how you have insurance. Can I tell you, we gave you a great resource. And if you're new here, all, all you have to do is give us your, uh, your email. We'll send this to you. Right now, media, if you're not already on there checking out the Bible studies that are on there, there's a whole section on biblical finance. Dave Ramsey, which you would spend hundreds to buy, it's all right there. You can just learn how God wants you to set things up in your life. But what I want to talk about is, is what God does through us when we receive that spirit of generosity that he's given us. You know, it's interesting that in the Bible there are about 500 verses on prayer. There are about 500 verses on faith. But there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about how we should approach finance in our lives. You think God is concerned about that area? I mean, he's given us a lot about this. Here, here's what I think. I think finances, or talking about money in the church, is not controversial and it's even not complicated. It's just personal. Because somehow we find our identity in what we have, when our identity ought to be found in the one who has us. 
And so we want to talk today about how to break out in this area of our lives. In fact, as I read the Bible, can I tell you, it's impossible. It's impossible to be out of sync in this area of your lives and to live in the abundant new life that Christ has called you to. It is absolutely impossible. And as your pastor, can I tell you, I look forward to teaching this. Whether you've had a bad experience with a preacher or a bad experience in church over money, can I get a witness of that? Because I've had the same bad experience, right? Come on, you know, if you just give one, God will give you 100. If you give two, God will give you 200. I have a theory about that. If they really believe that, they wouldn't teach. They would, just, they would just bring an offering every Sunday. They wouldn't expect it from anybody else but themselves. You see, guys, so many times we have shot ourselves in the foot, pastors have, over being able to teach something that God wants us to have freedom in. And you know me, those who have been with us. This is something that I'm bringing to you because I believe it's going to shape our lives. I would subtitle this series, The Blessed Life. And it's based on a, on a title of one of the best books I've ever read about God's path of blessing to the one whose life is wholly consecrated to him. And, and to teach this, we're going to really use our theme verse in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through 38. And I want you to just let this speak into your heart this morning. So to make sure you have those Bibles open, check it out whether you're following it on you version or you've got a card, take some notes, let God speak to our lives this morning. Here's where it begins. Luke verse, chapter 6, verse 37 to 38. It says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. How many think that's a good thing? All right, that's kind of acceptable, right? Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be what? That's pretty good, right? Now, now I want you to skip the next part where it's talking about giving. We'll come back to that. Go down to the very last part of verse 38. The last sentence says this. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Think about that. Judge, and you'll be judged. Condemn, and you will be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now look at verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I know when we use the word give, in our culture, we always think money, right? That's, that's a, it just kind of goes hand in hand. I've just got to ask you a question. If you're new here, you can't answer this, but those that have been with us a while, how often do I speak on giving? Yeah, I do. I speak on giving every Sunday. Every single Sunday. Because you know what? I cannot teach you about grace unless I teach you on giving. I can't teach you about marriage unless I teach you on giving because the only way marriage works if both parties are giving love equally back and forth, right? Everything we bring to you always comes about giving. But when I ask you how often do I speak about money, not very often. In fact, it's been two and a half years since I've taught a series on this. Uh, I get fussed at by our stewardship team because I don't tell you every Sunday where the offering boxes are, okay? They're in the back today. If you haven't noticed, we've changed everything up one more time. Um, I, I struggle with this because I believe that God when he gets a hold of your heart, giving is not a question. It just begins to flow out of your life because God has blessed you with so much. You see, God asks us to give him our hearts. He asks us to give him what really matters in our lives. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, can I tell you that people that do not know the word of God will always make statements like this. Well, the church always wants your money. They're always after your money. And I would say, not true. But God is. God is always after it. And you're like, well, what's up with that? Why, why is God always after the money? Because God is after our hearts. And he knows that the direct connection is linked between your heart and your possessions. 
It's like a, it's like a physical chain almost between your possessions and your heart. Think about this. If you were to go out right now and you were to buy a stock, any company, any company you'd want to buy a stock in, I don't know what that would be like, but if you did, guess what you would do from now on? Every day you'd get online and you'd check on that stock. In fact, several times a day you'd see what's going on with it. In fact, you may have never ever even looked at the stock market before, but because you invested in it, guess what? Your heart is now attached to it. And you're going to follow it and follow it and follow it. Why? Because you want it to do well. You see, if God can get a hold of your finance, he will have your heart. And that's what God is always after. He wants you to see this connection of he has, has given us everything, and he wants everything back in his hands so he can bless our lives. I mean, look at this verse again. Look in the context of it. He doesn't come out and just say, I'm going to talk about money. He says, no, I'm going to talk about judgment, first of all. He says, if you give judgment, guess what's coming back your way? Judgment. If you give condemnation, guess what's coming back your way? Condemnation. But he goes a little further in this, and this is where it really gets powerful, guys. Because he says, it's not only is it going to come back your way, but it's going to come back in a way that's more than what you gave in the first place. Oh, we don't teach that, do we? You know, the prosperity gospel guys want to talk about money, and that way, hey, give, and you're going to get a whole lot more back. But they don't want to talk about if you judge, you're going to get a whole lot more judgment back. If you condemn, you're going to get a whole lot more condemnation back. He goes on to describe it in a way that the Israelites, the people that he was speaking to at the time, would totally understand this. He said it comes back with a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. Now, now what he was referring to was there was a law in the Old Testament to farmers because it was an agrarian society. And what it said was that when you plant your crops... And when you harvest them, you always leave crops on the outside of your, of your field for the poor. And they could come and glean. They could come and take that. That was a way of being generous of, of what God had blessed you with. And there were two different types of harvesters. There were the, there harvesters that were paid by the hour. And, and the harvesters were paid by the hour. They would take their basket, and they'd go out, and they would gather. And, and they would just, as soon as they had their basket full, they would take it back and dump it because they really weren't concerned of exactly how much was in the basket as long as they were, were taking baskets and, and putting it away, right? But to the poor, they would have one shot because the basket they brought with them was the basket they were going to take home with them when it was done. So when they would gather the crops and they would get around, they would put it in their basket, and then they would they'd press it down. <laughs> they were like, I want this thing, every little cranny to have some grain in here because this is all I'm going to get. And then, then to make it further, they would begin to shake it and get the chaff out and get all that dust stuff out of there so that way they'd have more of the kernels or, or whatever it was they were gathering in there. And then they would even pile it as high as they could because they wanted it running over. They wanted it to be more than enough. And here's what God was saying. He says, look, when you have a life where you give judgment or condemnation, what's going to come back to you is not just judgment and condemnation in an equal fashion, it's going to be more than what you gave. It's going to be pressed down, shaken together, and running over so that it will actually be poured into your lap. Here, here's the principle that I want you to see. It's called the law of reciprocity. You will always receive back more than what you give. You will always receive back. So if you're a condemning person, guess what? There's a reason people are always condemning you. If you're a judging person, there's a reason people are always judging you. But if you're a giving person, God said, look, there will always come back more than what you gave away. Because it leads to a second principle that is so important. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, how many of you had parents that said, hey, you know you're going to reap what you sow, right? Have you ever had those words come towards your life? I, I did a lot. Hey, Mike, you go, you go out there and sow those wild oats, guess what? You're going to reap more than you sow. It's going to be harmful to your life. But on the converse of that, it's very blessed. 
Think about it. If I plant a seed in my backyard for a peach tree, over the course of time, that peach tree is going to grow, and it's going to give me a whole lot more fruit back than that one little seed I planted. You understand that? It, it, again, it, it multiplies. Why? Because of the blessing of, the, of reaping what I've sown. So if we're going to go and give anything, we need to get ready to receive it in return. If I want forgiveness, then I need to be a forgiving person, right? Jesus taught that. He said, if you come and you ask me to forgive you your sin, and yet you've not forgiven your brother that sinned against you, he's like, go. Go. Go go make it right. Because if you can't forgive someone else their sins against you, guess what? I can't forgive you your sins against God. That's strong. But it's that same principle, right? It's a giving principle. It's a generous principle. If you want to receive generously, you give generously. You see, too many people have taught this scripture. They've taught it with the wrong concept, with this mindset of you give to get. You give to get. It's all about what can I get for what I do. But the message of Jesus is just give. He says, give to those who ask you. Give to those who can't pay you back. Give love to those who don't deserve it. Give mercy to those who've done you wrong. Give the kind of treatment to others that you would hope to receive yourself. And oh, by the way, (laughs) oh, by the way, when you do, your heavenly Father takes note of that. And he will give you more than you ever asked for. He will take care of your life. Why? Because God is a giver. God is a giver. And it's true that when we give, God will give back to us. But here's the deal. Our motive should not be getting. Our motive should be that we are reflecting the image of God who is generous above all. And we are imitating our Father every time we come to him with a giving heart. You see, getting is a byproduct of giving. But it should never be our motivation. You see, God knows our heart. We think we're sneaky, don't we? You know, it's, I call it that southern blessing. You know, we think we're sneaky. We're like, oh, God bless you. And what we're really saying is words in our mind that we can't repeat in church right now because it's not a blessing at all. It's just like going, go away. I don't like you, but I'm going to say something nice. Anyway, God knows our hearts. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16 says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. James 4, 3, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What he's saying is the act of giving, God looks at the heart. He talked to the Pharisees, those ones that were kind of the religious uh, elite at the time that thought they were like it, right? He says, y'all make this big deal about giving. You come and you, you throw the coins in the box, everybody hears it rattle. He said, but I'll tell you, the little widow that come in, and all she has is a mite, the smallest piece of money that she has, probably what she has to live on. And she drops that in the offering box. And I tell you, she's more blessed than any of you. And she will be known for eternity. You see, guys, it's about the heart that God is after. It's about the heart that God wants to own. Now, there's a, there's a teaching in the Old Testament as God was raising up the children of Israel that kind of walks us out. So if you allow me, let's go back, back into the New Testament a little bit this morning, back into Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, if you go and find that for a moment, Deuteronomy chapter 15, there there are four things that God identifies to the children of Israel that says these are things you need to work on if you're going to walk in the generosity, if you're going to walk in that that blessed flow that God wants for your life. And it starts in Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, verse 7. He says that we need to get rid of a of a selfish heart, okay? There's four, four heart conditions he says we need to deal with. The first is, he says we need to get rid of a selfish heart. Check it out. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, if any of the towns of the land, that, if any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you 
Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Look, check it out what he's saying in verse 7 and 8. He says, listen, I've already given it to you anyway. He said, I, I want to give you these lands. I just want you to take care of people around you, so, so don't be stingy about it. Already in the Old Testament, God was saying, I like a cheerful giver. I like someone that has found the joy of living in this relationship. Verse 8, rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. <laughs> I had to underline that in my Bible. I'm like, what? You're telling me a stingy heart. You're like, it's sinful. Exactly. Because it doesn't reflect the heart of our God. You see, you see, selfishness is wickedness in God's eyes. When our brother comes to us, we need to open our heart to him and give out of what God has given to us. He, he talked about a condition that we really struggle with sometimes, and that is we have a selfish heart. It really is a manipulative heart. That's what we do. We, we try to manipulate God, or we try to manipulate his, his generosity. And we're like, well, God, you know, if I, if I give in, in this, then, Lord, you know, I really want you to bless this over here. Or, God, I, I want to try to make myself seem really big in their eyes so I get my name on a plaque somewhere. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But God knows our heart. And what he was saying to the Israelites, and I wish this still worked today, they had this cool law. It was, it was called the, the, the Jubilee Law. And, and basically what it said was this, that every seven years... All debts had to be forgiven. How many think that'd be an awesome thing today? Let me see your hands. Right? We're like, oh, Lord, we like that one, right? We don't like a lot of the rest of the Old Testament, but we like that one. And what he was saying is, he said, so you know that you're supposed to give, but yet you know Jubilee is coming up. So if I give to this guy in the sixth year, I'm never going to get all back that I gave him, so I'm, not, I'm just not going to give. That's what he was talking about. And he says, don't manipulate God that way. God knows the heart. God is going to repay more than you've ever thought because God is a giving God. You see, we have to ask ourselves for a moment, why, why did God create this concept of giving? Why, why, did he, why did he tell us to give? You know, when I ask that question, in, in teaching, usually I get the answer, well, it's to support God's work on the earth, right? Does God really depend on us to support his work on the earth? I mean, last time I checked, I read the Bible, I don't think there's like a fire sale going on for the gold bricks in the streets of heaven, you know, I, or he's not slaughtering off half the herd of the cows on a thousand hills so that he can somehow manage that his work would somehow go out on this earth. No, God created giving not for his work on this earth. He created giving for us. He created giving for us. You see, giving more than any other activity works selfishness and greed out of our lives. It's the number one thing that will break it free. It's the number one thing that will break it out in our lives. Because if our motive is giving to get, then we are selfish. We're missing the whole point of God's generosity towards us. I know when I was raising my kids and I'm trying to teach them principles of generosity and all that, you know, I, I just learned that if I had to bribe them to do what is right, my heart did not really swell up too big, right? You, you can ask Chloe or Britt and Wes when they come here and y'all can parent how you want to. Just make sure it's biblical, right? But you know what? I didn't pay them for good grades. And I, somebody agreed. I didn't pay them for cleaning up their room. I didn't pay them for doing their chores. Some of you are like, oh, pastor, you're just like bad. No, I, I, would, I would bless them when I saw a generous spirit in their hearts. And they would do something for somebody else. Or when they do something unwilling, you know, without having to be prompted. 
You see, can you imagine God sitting in heaven going, okay, I've got to, I've got to bribe you to give, and when you give, I'm going to go, way to go, now, now I'll bless. No, he'd be disappointed if that was our attitude, that it was a, a matter of always having to be bribed in order to do the right thing. I mean, think about it. We are born selfish. Some of you guys that are having your first baby, can I tell you, you have a little selfish being in your, in your body right now, or when it comes out, it's going to be selfish, whether it's the best thing ever, right? Because you don't have to teach a baby to be selfish. As they become a toddler, guess what happens? You have a little friend over, a little play date, right? And you have all the toys out, and, and your little one's like, oh, he's playing with his best friend. You're taking pictures for Facebook. And all of a sudden, that little guy, the friend, starts going for one of your kid's toys. And what does your kid do? He, it's like a Luke Keekley tackle. I mean, he's like knocking him down, like, mine. And then the little kid's like, okay, okay, I'll go over this. No, that's mine too. And before you know it, man, they're like duking it out as two-year-olds over this. You're like, where'd my sweet little child go? They were born selfish. We were born into sin. That's why we need to be reborn, right? God wants us to be reborn so that our heart condition teaches us to share. There's a second thing he says in Deuteronomy we need to do. And that is we need to deal with a grieving or a begrudging heart. A grieving or a begrudging heart. Deuteronomy 15 verse 10 says, Give generously to them and do so without, grudge, without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to do. How many want that side of that verse, right? That God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to do. Notice that. That's the reward. He says, if you have a generous heart and it's not grieving or begrudging, he says, listen, I'm going to take care of everything you do. You see, selfishness attacks us before we give, right? It's that hard thing of going, I don't know, if I give, I mean, I had enough for me. But God said, I will provide all your needs. But grief attacks us after we give. Has anyone ever experienced buyer's remorse besides me? Ever done that? I remember the first time we bought a new car, which was like the last time we bought a new car. And I walked out, and you know, it felt a lot better test driving that thing than it did when I saw the amortization table of what it was going to cost me to pay it off by the end. And I'm like, what did we do? What were we thinking? It's that sinking feeling that like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have done that. Can I tell you that some people battle that same feeling when it comes to giving to the Lord? You see, if you give because you have to, if you give because it's a law and you're like, well, I've got I've to line up with God. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to give it anyway. Then what happens is we, we experience what is called a grieving or a begrudging heart where God is trying to do something deeper in us. Do, do, do you think it pleases God? If we give and then we, we like, regret it, it doesn't please him at all. <laughs> you have to forgive me. Y'all, y'all probably don't know what happens in the minds of pastors when they're preaching, but I can get distracted easily. And uh, sometimes there's, like, random thoughts that hit me. I'm like, where did that come from? I was just thinking when I was, when I was, doing, when I was talking that last point, I, it just hit me because I looked over here, and I'm like, I'm, I'm taking the family out to lunch after service, and I forgot to go get cash. And I just, it just kind of hit me all at once. I'm like, why am I thinking about this right now? But I'm in need of something because I forgot to give it. Uh, I forgot to go take care of it before the service ever happened. I mean, I need some money if I'm going to do something for their lives. But I don't know where that money's going to come from. Y'all, forgive me. It's just a dilemma that, uh, that I don't know what's going to happen here to, to take care of. And uh, Wow. Give me $100. We're eating good today. Man. Can you imagine? Hey, yeah. John's volunteering for receiving more. Yeah. What a, Jamie, thank you, man. And, and you know, he's not, he's not grieving over that at all, is he? Look at that. 
maybe a little bit. Maybe April's grieving. I don't know. He's like, man, new pair of shoes right there, right, you know? But you know why he's not grieving? Because I gave him the $100 before the service ever started. You see, this $100 is mine to begin with. So all he's doing is giving back to me what's already mine to begin with anyway. It's going back in the bank after service, believe me. You see, the number one way that we break out of a grieving heart is to change our perspective. That really we don't own anything. It's all God's. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. You see, that's the cure for both the selfish and a grieving heart is to have a change of perspective and say, God, it's all yours to begin with. And Lord, what you've given me is stewardship, not ownership. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But you've given me stewardship, God, that when I manage it well, God, you said you provide and take care of everything in my life. But when I own it and I hold it like this, guess what I hear? Here's what I hear. Pastor, I can't afford to tithe. You know why? Because you're holding it like this and it's all up to you. But when you release it and you say, God, you have it all anyway and you promise to take care of me, that's when the blessing begins to flow. You see, guys, it's not... It's not controversial. It's not weird to speak about money. It's just personal. We think it's like, ah, you're getting into my business here. God wants all your business. He wants your heart. That means everything about us. You see, guys, there's a third heart, and we're going to wrap this up this morning, and that's uh, we got to develop a generous heart, a generous heart. Deuteronomy 15, verse 14 says, Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. We talked about it a while ago. We were born selfish. And the first thing we have to learn is, is, to, is to share. And can I tell you again, parents, as your kids get older, it really doesn't change that much. I always, always had this issue. It was funny. I'd like give my kids money to, to need to go to the store, go do something. And they'd get back and I'd say, where's my change? And they'd go, what change? I'm like, well, I gave you money to go buy that. I gave you more money than you'd need. And they're like, yeah, Dad, thanks. You know, it's mine now. And I'm like, What? You know, that's not the way it works, you know. One of my kids, that'd be like, like specific. I'm going to give you like $15.12 because that's all it takes, right? Because I would never get anything back from him, right? And, and we just said sharing spirit is something that comes out of a generous heart. And what God does is he wants us to, to not live like children. He wants us to grow up and start acting like our father. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. And it all comes down to this last change. And, and we're going to wrap up with this this morning. Here, here's, here's the thing. Not only does God want us to get rid of a selfish heart and a grieving heart and develop a, a, a generous heart, but what he really wants us to develop is a, is a grateful heart, a grateful heart. Check it out in verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. God was saying you need to remind yourself where you came from. You need to remind yourself, and in their case, they were slaves under bondage in Egypt, and God set them free. We may not have been under the bondage of, of the Egyptian taskmaster, but can I tell you, before Christ, we were in bondage to sin. And because of that, we were broken, and we were hurting, and we were living under the control of sin, but God, through his son Jesus Christ, set us free from our sin. When I think of the story of those that are followers of Christ, those that have, have gone all in with him, their story is the story we used to sing, Amazing Grace. I once was what? Lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I, I see. I remember 
I remember crossing the threshold as a young believer and learning to be generous when I truly understood what God did for me. I remember that it became not an issue to honor God with his tithe and his offering. But I've learned over the years of walking with him that if I'm not careful, I can forget what he did for me. And I can lose sight of what he's done in me. Denise and I have lived an interesting journey. And we've looked back over time and there are things that didn't make sense. There's things that we could not equate. Things didn't always balance. But before we ever got married, we made a commitment together and we said this. Let us never forget where we came from. Let us never forget what God has done for us. Let us never let us get out of order where he is not first. Now, I'm not going to tell you we're perfect in any way or we don't have struggles or anything else or we don't battle selfishness sometimes, but can I tell you, the secret to a blessed life is putting God first above all and never forgetting what he's done for you. I hope I never, ever forget what it felt like to be saved. I don't have this write-a-book testimony. You know what I'm saying? I don't have this, yeah, I was a drug dealer and I shot somebody and I killed the, you know, I was a church kid. I was blessed. My dad was the deacon. My mom was the church organist. I grew up in church. But can I tell you, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. If anything, it makes you sometimes, if you're not careful, more manipulative than someone else because you learn to play the game. If I look right, act right, do right, man, you, me, God, we're good. Then you go out and live like the devil the rest of the week. The night I got saved, the night God revealed to me his extravagant love for my life, can I tell you, this didn't become an issue anymore. There have been times where the only way to explain our life financially is God. The only way we've made it is God. We planted this church, there was a period of three months, there was no income from Hope Church. But can I tell you, I didn't miss a dime, I didn't miss a thing. Because stuff started showing up. I started getting excited about going to the post office of all things because God was just showing me again and again, I've got you. And it wasn't about going and having a nicer car, a nicer house, or nicer anything. It was just about God says, I will supply all you need. But there was an accumulation of years of just saying, God, I put you first. And that's what this series is all about. God, I put you first. So here's, here's the deal. Does God bless givers? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the promises of his blessing are not given to entice us, but to free us, hear this, to free us from the fear and grief of not trusting him with everything. So does God have your heart today? That's what he wants. Is it a grateful heart? Is it a generous heart? Or is it stingy and begrudging? God knows. But he's asking us to offer ourselves to him. So would you just... Right where you are, bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, I love, I love teaching your truth, God. Because, Lord, it's your truth that sets us free. God, I love teaching this, God, Lord, not out of a, of a, of a need of, a, of us, God, but, Lord, of a, a joyful expectation, God, that, Lord, there are lives here today, God, and listening on podcasts, that, God, over these coming days and weeks and months and years, God, they're, they're going to break out of fear. Lord, they're going to break out of that panic, God. They're going to break out of that, that loss, God, and living always as if it's never going to happen, God. 
And Lord, begin to trust and see that, Lord, you are the provider of everything. God, I, I believe we're going to see marriages enriched, God. We're going to see, we're going to see children's lives changed, oh God. Because, Lord, you said if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, God, then all these things, God, are added to us. So, God, in this moment of response, God, I, I just ask, God, you help us. God, help each one of us to answer the question today, God, what are you saying to me? And, God, what am I going to do about it? Lord, as we do that, God, God, let us just give praise and honor to your name. Would you just stand where you are today? I recognize that as we move into a time of response, that there may be those that are here today that you, you've never begun trusting God with your life, period. It's, it's a journey you've been on to understand who God is. And I hope you've heard clearly today that God is a generous God. God is a giving God. His heart is not to pad your pocketbook here. His heart is to change your life to where you now you live a blessed life in all your ways. That's what he wants. And I encourage you today, we're going to pray, and then we're going to respond to God in a time of worship. We're going to respond to God in communion. It's our way of, of saying to God, we need everything. We don't want to forget. We need the blood and body of Christ. If you need prayer, we're going to have people in the back and by the cross to pray for you today. But whatever your response is, let's do it with all of our heart. Amen? And let's trust God. Because you may be here today and you're like, Mike, this is an area you're just like stomping on my face today. I, I'm not going to apologize for that. That's not me. It's the Word of God that's just kind of hitting you between the eyes. And I tell you, I'm not going to tell you, I don't struggle with this sometimes. You get in a jam, you get where things are not, something breaks, and you're like, oh God, if I just had that money, oh. And you start thinking manipulative. And then all of a sudden you start trusting God and saying, wait a minute. God, you are the same yesterday, today. Forever. So I want to pray over you today. Let's have a heart of response to God. Would you do that? Father, God help us as we respond. God help us that Lord we learn. God, your generosity, God, and your graciousness. God help us today to recognize God that Lord, God, we, we we've got to learn. God to have our minds transformed. God to see this world differently than everyone else does. And God to act walk according to your promise and God your way so God I ask you to guide us in this response God let your Holy Spirit have his way in us God I pray this in Christ's name